High cholesterol is one of the leading causes of heart disease and stroke, both of which are among the top five leading causes of death worldwide. Late last year, scientists from the University of New Mexico Health Sciences Center published research on a vaccine they developed that's been shown to lower bad cholesterol in mice and non-human primates, and could one day help make it cheaper to treat one of the world's most prevalent medical problems. I'm Carly Bowling, and this is It's Probably Not Rocket Science, a UNM podcast that aims to uncomplicate complex topics through conversations with experts, creatives, and researchers. In this episode, we'll hear from the professor whose lab developed this vaccine and an alum who helped lead the charge during her PhD and is now working in vaccine development in Boston. We'll chat about how the vaccine works and was developed, the problem it aims to solve, and how graduate students impact and contribute to the research process. Let's get into it. So before we get into the vaccine, can you tell me a little bit about the research that you do in your lab? Sure. So my laboratory is really interested in developing vaccines, and we actually have a vaccine platform technology that we have used to develop vaccines against all sorts of different diseases. So not just infectious diseases, but also chronic diseases like this vaccine targeting cholesterol. This is Dr. Bryce Chikarian, who led the team that developed this technology. Professor Chikarian is the Jeffrey Michael Gorvetsian Endowed Professor of Biomedical Research Excellence and the Regents Professor and Vice Chair in the Department of Molecular Genetics and Microbiology in the UNM School of Medicine. And the vaccine platform that we use is based on a virus particle. So as, as most people probably know, viruses are bad. And the immune system has developed all these different mechanisms to respond very strongly to viral infections. And so what we've done is we've taken advantage of that, um, and we have basically used what's called a virus-like particle, um, which is just sort of the empty shell of a virus. So it's the surface proteins, but it doesn't have any viral genome, DNA, RNA inside. And so it's basically a very safe sort of shell. But because of its geometry, because it looks like a virus, um, the immune system responds really strongly to, um, to that platform. And then we can use the platform to develop vaccines against all sorts of different things. So before we get into the details about the vaccine, I want to give you some background on cholesterol. Our body makes its own blood cholesterol in the liver, but we can also consume cholesterol through foods like meat, dairy, and eggs. We need some to create hormones and digest fatty foods, but too much can cause plaque to build up in our arteries and can increase your risk of heart disease and heart attack. We have two kinds of cholesterol, LDL, sometimes called bad cholesterol, and HDL, or good cholesterol. So what factors influence cholesterol and how much control do we have over our levels? To a certain extent, it depends on the person. A diet high in fiber and lower in saturated and trans fats, combined with exercise, can reduce your risk of high cholesterol, while smoking and having a sedentary lifestyle may increase it. But family history and certain medical conditions also play a large role. In the early 2000s, researchers discovered a protein that contributes directly to high LDL cholesterol levels. Going back about 20 years, this protein, which is called, it has a very long name, but its acronym is PCSK9. And about 20 years ago, people had identified that mutations in this protein were either associated with very high levels of LDL cholesterol, so that's bad cholesterol, or in some cases, very, very low levels of LDL cholesterol. 
So it turns out that individuals who have mutations in this protein that increase its function, they have high levels of LDL cholesterol and they have higher rates of cardiovascular disease. And there are rare individuals who actually have mutations that knock out the function of this protein. And conversely, they have very, very low LDL cholesterol levels and they basically don't get heart disease. And so that opened this possibility that maybe we could target this protein called PCSK9. And, and now we know what it does. But we could target this protein, PCSK9, inactivate it, and that might be a novel way of lowering LDL cholesterol levels in patients. What does the PCSK9 protein do? Yeah, so it's an interesting protein. Um, so it turns out that your body makes all sorts of different proteins that are involved in regulating these lipids. So things like triglycerides and LDL cholesterol and HDL cholesterol. And the way that PCSK9 works, it actually interacts with a receptor um, that's expressed in cells in your liver called the LDL receptor. Um, and the role of that receptor is basically to take up LDL cholesterol from your body, metabolize it, and then you use that cholesterol for a bunch of different basic functions. And so what PCSK9 does is actually, it's called a negative regulator of the LDL receptor. And so it, it attaches to it, it causes that protein to be degraded. And when you have lots of a high level of PCSK9, you have lower levels of the LDL receptor. And that means that you have less turnover of LDL cholesterol and it accumulates in your blood. And that's, that's a bad thing. So why do we have this protein? We don't really know because it seems like it only has bad effects. The people who have mutations that knock it out, I mentioned before that they don't have cardiovascular disease, but there doesn't seem to be any negative effects of not having PCSK9. And that was a great thing, of course, because it meant that we could develop drugs antibodies, and in our case, vaccines to target PCSK9 without having to worry so much about safety concerns. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because that was one of the questions that I had in reading about this was just kind of how do you make sure that when you're inhibiting this protein that I guess you don't knock out all of them, but it sounds like that's not a problem. Yeah, so in those people, like I said, you know, they're fine. Again, it's not a huge number of people who have this mutation, but they exist and they're fine. And then the other thing that sort of works in our favor is that now there are a class of drugs called PCSK9 inhibitors, and we can talk about those in a second. And the first PCSK9 inhibitors came onto the market about seven years ago, and they've been used in patients, and they're do not seem to be any side effects associated with those drugs. So that's just another you know, bit of evidence showing that targeting this protein is going to be safe. So right now, when doctors are treating high cholesterol, they have a few different tools in their arsenal, statins, the PCSK9 inhibitors that you mentioned, and potentially in the future, this vaccine that you're developing. What is the difference between the inhibitor shot versus the vaccine? Well, maybe we should first start with statins, if that's okay. Yeah. So, so statins is like one of the most widely prescribed drugs uh, on the market right now. Um, it's really cheap, and lots of people use it, of course. So statins work pretty well at, at lowering cholesterol levels, um, but there's a, there's a substantial percentage of people who don't respond to statins or they have side effects associated with statins. And muscle pain is one of the biggest side effects of, of statins. So it's really that population of people that these PCSK9 inhibitors are meant for. There are some antibody-based drugs, and there's more recently a drug that's called an antisense oligonucleotide. And 
these drugs, these PCSA9 inhibitors are really, really effective at lowering LDL cholesterol, like something like 60% in most patients. Okay. But the reason that they're not used more widely is one, because statins are cheap and mm-hmm. work in, in a lot of people. Um, and these drugs are incredibly expensive. So they're about $6,000 a year. Wow. Um, and in the case of the antibody-based drugs, you know, they have to be given every two to four weeks, um, depending on the dose. Um, and so that can be, you know, an, an issue for patients. Um, and, you know, that, that expense alone, and also just so many people have elevated cholesterol. You know, mm-hmm. It's about a third of all adults, maybe a little bit more than a third of all adults have elevated cholesterol. And so it's been estimated that, you know, if everybody was on a PCSK9 inhibitor, that would bankrupt the healthcare system wow. because of the expense of that drug. Um, and so that was really our motivation was to try to develop something that could be as effective as these PCSK9 inhibitors, um, but cost a lot less. And, and we thought vaccines were, you know, one way to do that. Yeah. When you're looking at the mechanisms, how are the two different? Yeah, so the way that the antibody drugs work is that an antibody against PCSK9 has been made in the lab, okay, and you're just passively injecting that into a person. So normally the immune system responds to, you know, infectious diseases and vaccines by making antibody responses. And here you're basically cutting out that middleman, right? You're just injecting antibodies in the person, and the antibodies are directed specifically against PCSK9. And, you know, the reason that the drug is so expensive is that you have to make a lot of the antibody. Um, it's fairly expensive to make. The systems that you make antibodies in are, you know, are, are again costly. And so our idea was to make a vaccine that basically does the same thing, except instead of injecting an antibody, you're making your own antibodies mm-hmm. against the target. And you can imagine like how that might be cheaper. The platform that we've been using um, is actually based on a, a very very simple virus called a bacteriophage. So it's a virus that actually infects bacteria. So it's safe, it doesn't infect humans, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't have a genome, so it's not infectious anyways. And one of the advantages of our platform is that we can produce it in bacterial cells. And, and the reason that that's an advantage is that we can make huge amounts of these virus-like particles. And that will, of course, cut down on cost. Um, so we were working with a company a few years ago, and we were able to produce um, the equivalent of 20,000 human doses wow. of, of vaccine in a liter of bacteria. Um, so you can imagine that like scaling up is not going to be a huge problem. You know, instead of having to continually inject antibodies into the patient, you vaccinate them. Those antibodies last for you know a longer period of time. And you may need to boost, and you probably would need to boost, but that boosting would be less frequent than the injections. Yeah, it's like that saying, giving a man a fish versus teaching someone to fish, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So globally, I really want to like hone in on the fact that making these medical treatments more affordable really opens up the number of people who can receive treatment. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, again, these PCSK9 inhibitors, patients in the U.S. can get them, you know, and in the developed world. But of course, cardiovascular disease is not just a first world problem. You know, people have elevated LDL cholesterol and are at higher risk for cardiovascular disease all over the place. And, you know, that's where I think the vaccine is going to have its greatest effects is in those places where, you know, paying $6,000 for a drug every year is just like outside of the realm of possibility. You know, a vaccine that we can produce for 
pennies to dollars is something that could be applied to the developing world. And, and you know, that, that's one of the things that's really motivated me, as well as the people that I'm collaborating with. Speaking of collaborators, in just a minute, we'll hear from Alex Fowler, a UNM alumna who helped lead this research during her PhD and is now working for Moderna. But before we talk with her, I wanted to tell you about an opportunity to help support UNM research like the topics we discuss on the show. Next week, on February 21st, UNM is hosting its annual 24-hour Big Give. From 12 a.m. until 11.59 on Wednesday, February 21st, you can donate any amount of money, big or small, to any academic, healthcare, research, or student support fund and have your donation maximized through matching funds and special challenges. You can direct your donation to any area of your choice, or if, like me, the prospect of choosing between so many good options is maybe a little overwhelming, consider giving to UNM's grand challenges and know you are directly supporting several interdisciplinary research centers aimed at making positive contributions to society through the study of topics that we've explored on the show, like indigenous child development, substance use disorders, space research, and sustainable water resources, and so much more. This opportunity to make a donation of any amount with maximum impact comes around just once a year. If you're interested in the UNM Big Give, you can visit unmbiggive.unmfund.org right now to learn more and even donate early. We'll also have a link in the show notes. Anyone who's gone through graduate school or known someone who has knows just how much work goes into a dissertation. Alex Fowler spent years studying and working to help develop this vaccine. There is a lot of work involved. You know, I've seen friends who are working on their PhD and the amount of time and effort that they spend on it, then also getting that help and guidance from their mentor. It ends up being like a collective and like a family. In the end, it's like, okay, you're the one who has to drive it, get this out there and get it done. You have to be the expert. After I graduated, moved to the East Coast. I am living in Boston currently. I came out here to do a postdoc uh, at Merck, and then I was there for about a year and a half, and now I'm over at Moderna. What do you do at Moderna now? So I'm in the infectious disease department and work in the virology group and work in the research and exploratory side for preclinical development. So potentially if we have the vaccine that we want to test, you know, we're going to test these in mice and mouse studies where we'll get serum, where we could assess for their antibody responses. So in the lab, that's typically what we are doing. You know, we're looking to see if there's antibody response and are they able to neutralize our potential target of interest. So that's that's kind of what we do in a nutshell. When Alex joined Dr. Chikirian's lab, he and Aaron Crossy, a since-graduated MD-PhD student, had published some early initial findings. Those findings allowed Dr. Chikarian to get funding for more research to hone in on a vaccine combination that might create a product that worked as a standalone high cholesterol treatment. That's where Alex jumped into the project. How do you feel like the project kind of evolved over time? Yeah, so at first, you know, it was a lot of animal studies, immunizing the mice and checking to see if they made antibodies. And then it was like, okay, now it's kind of looking at function. We were collaborating with NIH, so we would send our sera samples over to them and they would assess for 
cholesterol-lowering capabilities. So they assessed for LDL cholesterol. Those were all done in just normal mice. It was like, okay, let's move on to a different animal model where we see these really high levels of LDL cholesterol. And let's see if we could bring that down from these mice who already have these really high LDL cholesterol levels. Mice aren't humans. (laughs) We have very different lipid profiles. And so that's kind of why we moved on to the non-human primates because their lipid profile is more similar to humans. What did it feel like to have the study published recently? It was kind of surreal just because it was like five years of work that we had all done, everybody who was part of that paper. And yeah, it was kind of like our baby. I'm sure everybody who gets in vaccine development, like, I want to, you know, cure this and I want to cure that. And then, you know, the likelihood of that happening, you know, just because of science, it just maybe doesn't happen. But if you could just even make some contribution to help someone else, like take some of your work and even push it further, then I feel like that's beneficial too. So you've heard a lot about how this vaccine works and the research process that led to its development. But you're probably wondering what happens next. Will this be available to the general public anytime soon? Not quite yet. What are the next steps for the vaccine? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, We think we have really nice data uh, now. uh, And we've shown that the vaccine works uh, in animals. And so, you know, really the next step is finding commercial partners so that we can move this forward. But it also could be government. Um, And so we've been working with uh, my collaborator, Alan's Institute, to figure out ways to move this forward. Um, You know, one of the things that's a bit unfortunate about, uh, you know, academic work is that we don't have the resources to really push things into clinical trials. And so unfortunately, we're forced to, in many cases, forced to not necessarily is a bad thing, um, but you know we have to work with with uh, biotech companies or pharmaceutical companies to move things forward. And so, the intellectual property that sort of underlies this vaccine has been optioned to a company um, in Boston, and uh, we're hoping that that um, will be a productive collaboration, and we can, we're able to move this into clinical trials. Okay, so the next step is going to be clinical trials in people. Yeah. And so, you know, the clinical trial process generally occurs in three stages. So the first stage of phase one clinical trials is just looking at safety. And the the, the vaccine platform that we're using uh, to make this to make this cholesterol-lowering vaccine um, has been in human clinical trials before. So we feel pretty confident that what we've seen in monkeys, the fact that it's safe, that we're getting good immune responses, and we're seeing these effects. The safety and immunogenicity of the vaccine, I think um, we have good data suggesting that that's going to happen. And then you go into efficacy studies, like does the vaccine actually work? And in some cases, that can be really a long process. Sure. Um, but but I guess maybe one of the advantages of a cholesterol-lowering vaccine is that the, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, will approve medications just on the basis of lowering cholesterol levels. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a very long-lived or, or long-term study um, in, in order for us to, to, you know, to, to get to FDA approval. So that, that could accelerate the process. Okay. Now there's other questions, you know, do people need to be boosted? How frequently does boosting have to happen? How consistent are the immune responses in individuals? Um, and that's what a bigger trial, a phase three trial, will allow us to address. Okay. About how long does that kind of process take? 
Yeah, so, I mean, it can go very fast. Um, as we saw with the COVID vaccines, mm -hmm. uh, we had COVID vaccines developed um, in a year. Um, but, of course, that was with a huge investment of money, yeah. right? And and also, you know, there was, there was a lot of... Um, you know, people really wanted this to get done quickly because of the, you know, the 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 impact of the pandemic. Um, so it can happen fast. Um, but I would say that you know, typically for these sorts of vaccines, um, three to five years is kind of a you know conservative, I think, estimate. Okay. Um, assuming that there aren't you know huge hurdles in production or sure. recruitment. When you're looking at the platform, the vaccine platform that's used in this one, are there other vaccines that are already on the market, so to speak, that utilize that technology? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. So there have been, as I mentioned, there have been some that have been in clinical trials. And there are actually some COVID vaccines that are not currently approved in the U.S., although they have been approved in other countries, that are using a similar idea. So again, using these virus structures and displaying things on the surface of them. So this is kind of a unique vaccine because, again, instead of targeting an infectious disease, a virus, we're targeting, you know, something your body normally makes. And there have not been any of those vaccines approved yet. So, you know, that's, that's possibly a barrier for us is that this is kind of a paradigm breaking vaccine. Yeah, um, some sure. of them have been tested in clinical trials, as I mentioned. Uh, there was a vaccine to lower hypertension uh, that was tested, um, and uh, but not cholesterol, and uh, so so this could be pretty new. Okay, who all collaborated to kind of bring this to fruition? Yeah, um, it's been a really great study. So I first should mention some of the people in my lab. So a lot of this work was started by a, a graduate student named Erin Crossy. Uh, she was an MD-PhD student here at UNM. She's currently in her residency in Boston. And then it was picked up by another graduate student in my lab named Alex Fowler. So Alex and, and Aaron are really the people in my lab who led this project. But we've also really relied on expertise from a bunch of different other groups. So my collaborator at the NIH, who's at the National Heart Lung and Blood Institute is Alan Ramali. He's really the expert uh, on on lipids, pathogenic lipids, uh, cardiovascular disease. He's a he's an MD there. And then to do uh, some of the studies in the in this in, in our recent work, we also collaborated with a group of the California Regional Primate Center, Colin Rampe, who's been a great collaborator. How do graduate students kind of impact the research process? I would say the typical course of like a graduate student's career is that you know they come into the they come into a lab um, and you know typically they're they're interested in what we work on that's why they choose that lab, but you know they're sort of given a project, but ideally you know the the goal of graduate school is that they're going to come up with their own ideas and they're they're going to use their own interests and their own knowledge um, to sort of move the project forward and in a, in a lot of respects you know that. That's what Alex did in this project. She, for example, was actually very interested in looking to see whether our vaccine could actually impact cardiovascular disease. That's the goal of graduate school is to get students to the point where they're you're thinking independently and they're they're able to, you know, take an idea, like some crazy idea that maybe I have or maybe a collaborator has, and really, you know, let it take off. Thanks for taking some time to learn about this exciting finding and the research behind it. If you'd like to learn more about the vaccine or Dr. Chikarian's lab, I'll have the links in the show notes. Thank you to both of our guests for taking the time to walk us through the science behind the discovery. A special thanks to the University Communication and Marketing Department for making this show possible. 
We'll be back later this month with an exciting space episode on the James Webb Space Telescope, featuring Nobel laureate John Mather. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow our show and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you may be listening. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok or on podcast.unm.edu. Bye.